The North Carolina Healthcare Association is a proud sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast. The association is a united voice for hospitals, health systems, and care providers to ensure they can offer high quality, lower cost care to all North Carolinians. Visit nchealthcare.org to learn more about how hospitals and health systems are working to make healthcare easier, more convenient, and with better outcomes. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's officially holiday season. I've been wishing everyone a Merry Christmas last night at an event. People were like, man, you're really early on the Merry Christmas, but hey, I love it. It's the best time of year. Yeah, They can't count on you for canceling Christmas. No, not me. Well, we took last week off of the podcast, so we hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving with their families, but we are back this week, and there is some news. The Senate maps are going to stand for now at least. Judge Deaver issued a ruling saying that he was not going to expedite this hearing uh, about racial gerrymandering in the Senate maps. There was a group of plaintiffs that filed a lawsuit saying that they were being discriminated against in the Senate maps. It looks like filing is going to happen this coming week mm-hmm. on Monday, and people are going to run in the districts that we have. And something that we had expected, a challenge to the congressional maps has not happened. I think there's some politics there. I have a theory. You always do. (laughs) (laughs) I bet Congressman Don Davis is like, just leave it alone. I think I can win here. Mm. Don't don't have him redraw it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. We we should ask him if he has. Yeah, why don't you ask him? He wouldn't say if he did. But yeah, it looks like we're not going to have a lawsuit on the congressional maps. We're also not having any votes this week, even though today, well, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon because you have to travel. And today and tomorrow were held in case the legislature needed to come back. Nothing's happening because there are no court cases to respond to. Yeah. Big news coming out of Rockingham County. On Monday, you started to see this poll that... Rockingham County residents were polled on whether or not they would be interested in a challenger to Senator Berger. Yeah. This seems to be driven by some interest groups that are remaining anonymous. The poll sounded like a push poll, and that is a poll in which the pollster asks loaded questions. The energy seems to be around getting Sheriff Sam Page in Rockingham County. He's been the sheriff for decades now. By the way, he is a declared candidate for lieutenant governor. The poll pits him against Senator Phil Berger, and the numbers don't look good for Senator Berger, at least according to this poll. And you could also question the accuracy of the poll because there seems to be an agenda here. I don't know if there is news here as far as is there going to be a primary? Just know the poll's out there and it's got people really curious. In a segment I named on our notes app, the Campaign Corner, because filing starts next week, we have seen a lot of announcements 
this week of what people are going to do or what they aren't going to do. And it started with Representative Erin Perret on Monday announcing she would not be running for Congress, even though she had previously announced that. Yeah, and cut an ad. It was a well-done ad, by the way. It definitely had all the looks of a congressional campaign. I texted her on, yeah, Tuesday, yesterday. Oh, maybe it was yesterday, right? And, you know, just said, hey, glad you're staying in the General Assembly. I hate it for you that you're, you know, if she wants to go to Congress, that's fine. But I said, think of it this way. You're going to get more done in the General Assembly than that do-nothing nutty Congress. And she wrote back that family is a priority. Uh, She was up against some candidates that had millions of dollars. They were aiming at her. And she sees more opportunity in the General Assembly. And thanks. Additionally, on Tuesday night, Caleb Rudow officially announced that he would be running for Congress in the 11th. That's right. And previously an unsubstantiated rumor. Now it moves to the campaign corner. (laughs) It really does. Representative Rudow basically a one-and-a-half-termer. He took Susan Fisher's seat when she resigned the General Assembly, and he feels that it's his time to run for Congress. Now, it is an uphill battle there in western North Carolina to win this race. The incumbent is uh, former Senator Chuck Edwards, now a freshman congressman who beat Madison Cawthorn. Tough place to win for a Democrat, but uh, Rudolph, I talked to him. He knows what's facing him, but he thinks he can make a run at it. The big rumor that we put out a couple weeks ago, unsubstantiated, but we know or we're hearing that former Representative Brian Turner is looking at that race. No declaration yet. And when I say that race, the seat currently held by Caleb Rudow. Oh, Brian Turner just made an announcement. Did he really? Excited to announce I'm running to represent District 116 in the North Carolina House. Okay. Okay. While we are recording, (laughs) Brian Turner, former Representative Brian Turner, put up an official announcement that he is running in District 116 for the House. All right. Congratulations to him. Additionally, we had shared the unsubstantiated rumor that Representative Jared Lowry was looking at running for Congress. He decided he would not be doing so. In other campaign news, we had some news this week that Michelle Morrow is going to challenge State Superintendent Catherine Truitt in the Republican primary for that seat. All indications are that Superintendent Truitt is running for re-election. Michelle Morrow was an unsuccessful candidate here in Wake County for the school board. Looks like we're going to see a primary there that's going to get a lot of attention and a lot of money spent. There's also a candidate on the Republican side who announced this week that he's running for state auditor. Former Senator Jeff Tart announced that he will be running for state auditor, fellow Illini. And then this week we had another unsubstantiated rumor come to us. The rumor is that Republican folks are calling or trying to push Greg Gebhardt into running against Senator Lisa Grafstein. Greg is a longtime fixture in North Carolina politics. He used to work for former rules chairman David Lewis. He now does some military work. He is a military guy. He ran for lieutenant governor back in 2020. He was unsuccessful in that primary. Of course, we know Mark Robinson prevailed. 
This week, we sat down with Representative Maria Cervania for a very heartfelt conversation about her past and her first term as a legislator. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Maria Cervania, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your district. Where is your district? And we know that redistricting just happened. So your current district, where's your current district and maybe your future district if there are changes? And what makes your district special? So my district is District 41. It encompasses most of Cary, west of 55, downtown Apex. It's the best district in North Carolina (laughs) because Brian Lewis is one of my constituents. That's right. Some people would say that. That's why they don't want to live there. So District 41 is the best district in the whole state of North Carolina because it's the microchasm of the macro, I believe, and where we want to be as North Carolina. I think that our people are more open. We're more accepting. We're more diverse, not only in ethnicity, but in thought and in mind, in education, in ideology. It's a really great place to be. And our economic development and and our cultural improvements are just awesome. District 41, it's on the border of being where Apple is. So we'll have that infusion of some of the best schools, of some of the best restaurants and and stores and entrepreneurs and people in general that are great representatives of North Carolina. You go anywhere in the country, in the world. I could say proudly, Carrie, we are North Carolina. And come and visit. I often say, Come move to Cary. They Just, are. <laughs> and they are. Because it's a great place to be. So the new district is four or five Cary precincts, all of Mooresville okay. and Briar Creek. For some, maybe people would have said, oh, look, we just made her district 180 degrees different from before. And now probably I can reveal. I used to live in Briar Creek. Okay. That was the first place (laughs) that I moved to and lived there almost nine months to a year. So I I love that. That's home. That was like my first stepping stone. And then I decided to move into our precinct by design. Yeah. And and Morrisville, I've been so involved with their community as well, even though I live in Cary. So I'm happy whatever district I'm given. So you're a freshman legislator this year. You just concluded your long session, but you're no newbie in politics. You were served on the Wake County Commission. Can you talk about what got you involved in politics? I started in politics as a 15-year-old in Cupertino, California. And I usually start with shadowing my mayor, but actually it was even before that. I grew up in the Bay Area, and Harvey Milk was such an influence on my childhood. And that whole San Francisco board of supervisors, what an a crazy, interesting time that was for a young person. I'm dating myself, right? Yeah, I mean, wasn't 
former Senator Dianne Feinstein yes. on, on, on that board. Yes. yes. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was also involved during the, in that area. Barbara Boxer. I mean, there are such wonderful women and also people of color and LGBTQ. Like, it changed my whole world. And I wanted to be part of that. And so when opportunities came about during high school, then I did shadow my mayor. Uh, the mayor actually of Cupertino, not Sunnyvale, lived in Sunnyvale. And during the time that he was in negotiations to really uplift Apple to really build up their headquarters. Fast forwarding as a Wake County commissioner, it was such an amazing opportunity that now my life comes full circle to where I was at the table to negotiate Apple coming here and to tell the story and also to tell the story of how wonderful Wake County is and be able to bring that here to our people. I think I read that you went to the same high school as Steve Jobs. And Steve Wozniak. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I sat at the, at the same desk as Steve Wozniak for World Civ. And, and my, my World Civ teacher, Mr. Crump, said, that's where Steve Wozniak sat. I'm like, oh, I'm so honored. Wow. <laughs> wow. An additional follow-up is, do you feel infinitely cooler because you grew up in California? <laughs> It was a great time. I, I am really lucky to have grown up there. And, and in a lot of ways, it didn't prepare me for the rest of life just because everything was inclusive and we had all the best food and you could go. Like, I've literally gone skiing in the morning and to the beach at night. I mean, like, it was a, a chanted time mm-hmm. to grow up, you know, during like, you know, dog town and like all the surfing and all the skateboarding and and being able to have so much opportunity mm-hmm. in so many ways. I don't necessarily try to say that I'm cooler than everybody else. <laughs> you, know, you just said it with all the things you said. <laughs> yeah. So that's your political origin story. We need to know how you got to North Carolina. My husband is an engineer. He wanted to be closer to his family. We had been in Phoenix before this closer to mine. And I thought, oh, gosh, what a dream. Like, if I can't live in California, at least be on the West Coast, I got to hang out with my aunt all the time and my family. We were both missing his family, too. And yeah, we decided to see where his career can land in the South. And best was here in Raleigh. And it was always on my short list to live in, uh, live in Raleigh. So yeah, we just did it and that even though we're very planny people we knew that sometimes you just got to take the risk and, and we did it so wake county is a is a blue county raleigh is a blue town but still a lot different than growing up in the bay area with harvey sure. milk diane feinstein yeah. nancy pelosi and others what was that transition like My other part of my origin story is that my dad was career military, very Catholic family. And even though it seems that California is very progressive, there's a lot of conservatism. It prepared me a lot. My my parents were Republican, Mm -hmm. I mean, for all extents and purposes. Although my dad used to cut out these progressive articles from the newspaper and put them in my note, like textbooks mm-hmm. or in my po- the pocket of my jackets to read. I think outwardly he had to be conservative and because of his career and where he was in the world. Military. Yeah. yeah. 
but my dad really nurtured my progressiveness <laughs> in his way that he can. Got it. So I'm, I'm accustomed to that, that balance. And I think it fared well for my experience here at the legislature. And what year did you come to North Carolina? In 2014. Brian referenced that you were on the Wake County Board of Commissioners. Can you talk about the transition from being on that board to the state legislature and how that's been for you? People still say or ask, why did you even move? Why did you (laughs) even change? Being a commissioner, we're able to do things so much quicker. There's only seven of us. And not to say, even though we were all Democrats, we didn't always agree on everything. And, And that's a misconception. You know, we still have to negotiate everything. That was a very different environment, obviously. But I was still involved statewide as a county commissioner, involved in in the North Carolina um, Association for County um, Commissioners. And through that experience, too, I realized we're not all Democrats in this great state we have of North (laughs) Carolina. And it helped me get to know people. So in the transition, I had friends already in, in the legislature, even friends that knew people who lead in the chamber. The dynamic is very different. The way we govern is very different. But yeah, it I like both experiences for different reasons. Going from the majority party at the commission to being in the minority party at the General Assembly, that must have been tough. And let's talk about how you got there. Uh, Senator Wiley Nickel, he was our senator. He decides to run for Congress in 2022, successful. Then Representative Gail Adcock decides she's going to take Senator Nichols' place. So everyone kind of moves up. And then you're there on the Wake County Commission. You throw your hat in the ring to take the place of Representative Adcock. Yes. That's how it went, right? Yes. Can you talk about your first year so far? Sure. A lot of my colleagues and people outside had said, they're going to break you after six months. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, that's a choice. That's a choice for them to break me. And I'm not going to let them break me. My personality doesn't tend to be that way. I, I went in this with eyes wide open. And I've been involved in the party for a long time. I know what our situation is. I always think of things long game. I'm not an immediate satisfaction person. And I know that if I didn't step up, I might have left that open for a different dynamic inside our chamber. And I need to stay in that in that space or somebody comparable to me of like-mindedness to stay in that space so that we can achieve what we ultimately want to have for North Carolina, the people of North Carolina. So I I went with eyes wide open. I knew I wasn't going to able to be able to get a lot accomplished as I have been as a commissioner, but I've, I feel like I've accomplished great, a great deal, even if it's not in the traditional goals of of people. I came in not having preconceived notions, not having high expectations, and really taking people for who they were as people. I know we're going to ideologically not agree, but if I can build relationships, maybe that would provide an opening to having them understand why I believe in certain things. They may not be convinced, they may not change their minds, and obviously they haven't changed their minds because majority still thinks majority ideology. But I've made good relationships and I've gotten some 
bills passed, not necessarily in the traditional form, but they've been assigned appropriations. They've given, they've been appropriated, put in the budget. And I knew going into, I wouldn't be able to get anything done if I didn't work with the majority party. So most of all my bills, I put in eight bills. Most are two Republicans, two Democrats. I think that there's maybe one that wasn't that way just because I just couldn't get anybody to be convinced. (laughs) But it's been great working together. I sometimes have to tell my team, like, you have to work together. If you want what you want done, we still have to work together. Some people don't accept that very well because they want the divisiveness Mm. to continue but there's a lot of people who go yeah we sent you there to get something done so I'm glad that you can work with the majority and and not try to railroad or try to stop government like that was never my intention and and I think I've done a, a fairly good job I don't know all how it works yet so I know when I do I can maximize that that opportunity but the other thing and I know I'm going long on this is that there's a lot more game play and a lot more strategy that I didn't have to think about as a commissioner seven people versus 120 in the house 50 in the senate right games will be played Yes. (laughs) And for me, I try to be as transparent as possible. Like, they know how I vote. They're surprised that I'm so nice to them. Mm -hmm. You're very nice. Thank you. (laughs) Sometimes niceness is misconstrued as weakness. I think the opposite. Thank you. Yeah. And... And that's the thing. It's like, I'm steadfast in how I believe in things. I'm very apparent with that. But I always will be kind and listen and want to know why you think that way. Because that helps us go forward. So when you were talking about your bills and you said you split them half and half, Mm -hmm. How did you go about getting Republicans to be on your bills? Did that come from your county commissioner time where you met people? Or did you go door to door? Can you talk about that? This is going to sound really strange. But I, I went into the, you know, like the first week you go to college. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, you know, like we're instant best friends. Or yeah, let's go to that party. Or let's do this together. Yeah. That's how I pursued my first few months and weeks at the General Assembly. Okay. I didn't have a misconception or, or I, I didn't have a preconception of any of the people. I just thought, okay, like, I'm going to get to know you. And it's like, oh, you were a commissioner before. Or you were head of emergency management before. Or you're a doctor. Or something, you know, that mm-hmm. I wanted to learn about them. Also, I did my research, too. I'm That's just my background is that I wanted to learn about everybody that I worked with. So then when I isolated the the few bills that I I did, I made sure that I got to know who would be the right person to contact, you know, head of tech or a young person or so like depending on on the bill. So say, for example, the youth ending nicotine a dependency bill that Gail Adcock also introduced and like constantly many years had been in, introduced in the house. She last introduced it in the house. Now she did it in the Senate, but I, I took her lead too. And, you know, I spoke with her many a times about it as well, but I saw that she got two Republicans, three, two or three Republicans on hers too, unlike other years. So I thought, okay, that's probably what I should do too. So I asked every head of health and 
I think Sasser was in our, no, Lambeth was on it already. <laughs> and I was building a great relationship with Dr. Baker. And I thought, I want to ask her too. You know, she's a pediatrician, psychologist, like psychiatrist. That just even just makes sense, right? So every bill that, that I pursued, I looked at all of us and who would be the best. Can you talk about this bipartisan caucus at the General Assembly that is growing with the addition of new Asian American legislators serving in the General Assembly? You have been very involved in that, as is uh, Representative Yalu, Senator Jay Chaudhary, but you've also reached out to Representative David Willis. He has a wife who uh, is from China. Representative Ed Goodwin, who has two adopted children from Japan. Can you talk about this and the growing power of the Asian American electorate out there? They seem to be getting a lot of attention from legislators across the aisle. I think Majority Leader John Bell was at a cricket game this summer. (laughs) Speaker Moore has come through. The governor has been to the temple. I'm so elated that this is happening because oftentimes we're really ignored. And I've been an advocate for a long time for the Latino community, mm-hmm. the African-American community. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll do my work in the AAPI community in, not in silence, but not as, as great rigmarole as everything else. We've always been, as AAPI, heads down, hardworking, going to school. AAPI. Asian American Pacific Islanders? Correct. Yes. And also now, like, there's, it's expanded to Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders. Okay. And after, or during COVID, it had really been a difficult time to where the narrative had been so negative towards Asian Americans, in particular, the Chinese community. And, like, people not differentiating. People think I'm Chinese and and not knowing that we're not a monolith. And this also probably started even beforehand during 9-11. Not understanding the Muslim community or the Indian community looking like the Muslim community. So this has just been so prevalent. And I've made speeches on this. This is centuries prevalent. Sure. But COVID had really been the apex of like, we can't be silent anymore. We can't. And just a little context for listeners, we were seeing Asian Americans being assaulted openly in public. There was a lot of crime. There was a lot of vitriol online, but physical violence we were seeing. Horrific things being done to Asian American people. I always try to see it as maybe people just don't know enough about us. And so it was so important for Representative Yalu and I to to really push this forward. And we used to joke around about it. Oh, there'll be like two of us in the AAPI caucus when we win in the House side. Mm-hmm. Or, but, oh yeah, let's do it bicamerally. Like we can bring in Jay and Mushtaba, you know, yeah, and, yeah, that's and right. then Mushtaba. all four of us can like be. But then we thought, and we talked with different states too on how they found success in their AAPI caucus. And they said, we made it bipartisan too. And so, okay, then it goes back to researching our, you know, colleagues and finding out about their families now and their commitments towards the AAPI community. So that's why we brought in um, Representative Willis, Representative Goodwin, Senator Michael Lee. That's right. It's been a really great experience in that. It's still going to take time because 
there's still so much misconception. But I think with people getting to know us, working with us, understanding what's been important for us and the difficulties and also the contributions that we make, that there'll be a softness towards it in the future. I think one of the things that always helps is to hear a family's immigration story. And I know you were born in America, but your parents immigrated here. Can you give our listeners your family's immigration story? My parents are both born and raised in the Philippines. My father came from a not a well-off family. He joined the military, the Philippine army, because there is a need. And a lot of people don't understand that the Philippines was America, similar to Puerto Rico, Guam, a commonwealth. That was an opportunity for my father to change his life for him and his family. And then right when he became 18, joined the U.S. Navy. He had most of his life actually being American. Um, Then he was Filipino in a lot of ways, but identity is still so strong, right? Saw very disturbing atrocities during that time when he was growing up in the area. My parents are from Cavite, which is one of the, the front lines when it came to the war. My mother, on the other hand, came from a very well-off family, but because of war, were displaced from their home. She couldn't go to school. They had to hide in rice paddies and caves and trees, didn't know if they were going to live or die. The war was over, and my dad continued on, still serving, and then just fast forward with him, he served in Korea, he served in Vietnam, and retired um, after four tours of duty Vietnam. My mother's story was much more intricate in that in her family, she wasn't seen as a value because she was a woman. You're just going to get married. Why should we invest in you? But education, because she was at a loss, not having the opportunity to go to school during war, it was just her number one priority. This is, I want to be educated. I want to go to college. Nothing's going to stop me. So she did. She went off her own, went against my grandfather, supported by my great-grandfather. And she was able to work at our family company, which is a transportation company, and went to college during that time. My mother never focused on getting married or anything like that. She just wanted to be a career woman. She worked for... The, like the water public works. So very much also service minded. But one day my grandparents said to my mom, you know, you really should think about getting married now. So like the tables are turned now. They thought that she'd get married and not be of any contribution. My parents were set up on a blind date. 21 days, 21 days later, they got married. My mom used to joke around to say, I didn't even know what my last name would be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. And she was part of the 1965 Civil Rights Act that let immigrants be able to come here to America. I mean, she she was marrying a U.S. Navy person. So, but that altogether, she was able to immigrate here. College educated, great career. College educated at one of the best universities in the Philippines. But she came here and had to turn sheets at a Holiday Inn. Didn't recognize any of her accomplishments. So she started from scratch again. He was always on a carrier. So my mom settled in the Bay Area. 
She was one of the first women in tech. So she worked at Intel. She worked at Hewlett Packard. She did all those things. And that was such a strong influence on me. I'm so proud of my parents. I'm going to not. If they can do it, I can fight my hardest to the nail for everyone that I believe in and everyone that I'm representing to. And that's what fuels me. That's what makes me not stop. Are your parents still alive? No. You said your father first enlisted World War II? Yeah. It was a terrible time for Asians in America. We had internment camps. We were at war with Japan. Yes. That must have been difficult for him while serving a country that is... This is another story that I don't share a lot, too. So my father was stationed in Norfolk. Tidewater area, Virginia. Yes. When I share this story, I get reticent because... I don't want to discount the African-American plight and the challenges they went through. My father was considered colored too, in a full uniform, sitting in the back of a bus, having to drink out of the colored fountains, use the colored bathrooms, eat at the colored counters. I don't talk about that a lot, but it was so hurtful for my father knowing that he's putting his life on the line. He didn't ever thought about it that way, but as he describes it, it's like you hear the pain on that. Here's a story I'd never share. He was dating and living with, actually, a white woman in Norfolk. And they were to be married. And she said, I want, I want you to meet my family. And he's like, yes, of course, we're going to be married. They came and they met him. And then he had to go to work. And when he came home from work, everything was gone. All her things were gone. She was gone. And they never, ever spoke after that. And, you know, she, he tried to connect with her friends and try to figure it all out. But essentially what was said to him was because you were colored, her family would never let her be with you. That's so devastating. It took a lot for my father uh, to the point where he was also contemplating not getting married. That he was so distraught and hurt from that. So my family has faced a lot of, of that. I will say a good thing, too. You know, yesterday at the downtown Cary ribbon cutting, there's a delegation from Ireland. And during those same times, too, he said to me, I traveled all over the world. And there are places that are not like that. And I went to Ireland. I shared this story with the delegation. They treated me as if I always had been born in Ireland and that I was Irish. So know that even though you're going to be facing these things, that there are also people who will treat you with equality and respect and with love too. I mean, the Irish in America have their own stories similar to your father's, the Italian-Americans. Yes. It's only been in recent history, I think, that it's gotten better. But there's, as we know from recent activities, that uh, still room for improvement. Yes. And things are cyclical. Mm-hmm. I hope that our society and, and people learned from these things in the past. But unfortunately, sometimes you don't. 
we just have to keep vigilant and in, in, in leading with love and respect and kindness in, in these times. So we've come to the point where we will ask you our magic wand question. And I think that where you just left, it was a good place to jump into this. If you could change something and you had a magic wand, something in our politics, it could be policy, it could be political, what would it be? I thought about this a lot and, and I was going to do a safe like response. No, don't do safe. <laughs> Let's go bold. Oh, good. <laughs> Let's go bold. Um, but I don't know if this is necessarily bold. Just do the right thing. All right. <laughs> Spike Lee. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, you know, when we're kids, we're, a lot, we're taught to be kind, to do unto others as ones would do to you. And I know we're not always going to agree, but there's some fundamental things you really shouldn't really do. <laughs> I mean, really, you shouldn't do. <laughs> and people just don't make the right choices and do the right thing. I'll just refer back to like my experiences back in the in the legislator, legislature. There's still days that people don't think I'm a legislator. Hmm. Like I'm not a like afforded to go into some areas until I have to tell them six times that I, yes, I am a legislator. I, I have all the regalia. Sometimes I like, I, I don't want to wear all that stuff. <laughs> the lanyard. Yeah. And then the pen. Right. And it's like, well, no, like, you know, getting everybody else getting their budget book. But I go, oh, may I have mine? And like, no, this is only for legislators. And I'm like, really? Okay. Here, here it says on my lanyard here, like, and so just do the right thing. Like, don't make people feel so horrible. And I do this very much, and I don't necessarily want to say that I do the right thing. But if you have a responsibility, make sure you get all the information first before you make a decision. So from sergeant at arms or like our, our, our staff, our man, building management staff is just impeccable. And they they know <laughs> like mm. to do the right thing with me. But there's some people in that building who still don't treat me quite as I think just even a normal human being should be treated. Really? Yeah. And I don't talk about that a lot. And it hurts. And I go to my office and think about it a little bit and like tell my husband and I always have to think you know I need to give people space and grace towards that I'm Catholic so I give people three chances (laughs) (laughs) and on the third chance I'm gonna go okay this is not right you know I I don't know if that puts that all together it does it does I see my colleagues on the other side when we debate on certain things and I know they know that they didn't do the right thing. I see it. And I just wish, like, you know, ease your soul and mind. But this is, again, back to full circle. It's a game. I wish it wasn't a game. If we did the right thing, it wouldn't be a game. Because <laughs> ultimately, we would just be serving our people in the best way possible. If I had a magic wand, that's what I would do. Well, Representative Maria Cervania, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina House. Your service is my representative in the General (laughs) Assembly. It's my honor. Yep, thank you. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you again for having me. This was a pleasure. 
The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Let me give you an example of how Representative Cervania works in the General Assembly. And it's one of those things that doesn't show up on the scoreboard for legislators, especially Democrats, because working as a Democrat in the minority, it's a very challenging job. I've been working on a bill for decades. I'm not going to get into the bill. I'm just going to say, you know, it's one of those bills. It's a hot topic. And I have a Republican, actually two Republicans, that believe in this issue and they filed legislation over it. Representative Cervania approaches me early in the session and says, hey, I want to file this bill. I know you've been working on the issue. And I said, hey, I really appreciate that. However, I've got two Republicans that are going to file the bill. It's not going to be as strong as yours, but they're going to file the bill in the Senate, one in the House, and I really don't want you to file the bill. <laughs> it was a tough conversation to have with a Democrat because she really believes in this issue as well. And she said, I understand. I We'll do anything I can to help them. Let me know what I can do. And I said, Representative Cervania, I will. I let the Republicans know. They said, thank you. And thank you for not filing the bill because it's a hot topic. And they didn't want it to be seen as a Democratic issue. They wanted it to be seen as a Republican issue. And it was just so relieving when she said she understood, because I've had conversations with Democrats in the past and like, you can't tell me I can't file a bill. And by the way, I never tell a legislator they can't file a bill because they can't. I'm not the legislator. They are. But I just said strategically messaging, it would hurt. And she got it. And it's a testament to how she works in the General Assembly. I'm proud that she is my legislator. Thank you, Representative Cervania, for being on the podcast this week. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is a quote tweet from Will Doran. He's at Will underscore Doran on Twitter, and it is a quote tweet of Corey Dean's tweet. She's at Corey Dean. And it was like this poll that came out and said the best mid-sized college towns. And number nine was Cary, North Carolina. Will's tweet said, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Cary's elite nightlife is topped only by the likes of Salt Lake City and Boise, Idaho. (laughs) Both places also on the list, which was hilarious because (laughs) it's not a college town. (laughs) (laughs) Then Will also said, to be fair, there is a Wake Tech satellite campus at one of the public shopping centers. There is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Carrie does have a nice nightlife. Does it? Yeah. yeah, You went to a bar once. Now you think you like really know that Mm -hmm. you have your finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. I sent you a photograph. Julie and I were enjoying a 
downtown brewery. Hey, we have this great park. Representative Cervania talked about it. Just opened up. It's so beautiful. It's a wonderful, quiet town. You should spend some time there. Yesterday, when we were texting about going to a new restaurant, I said, we could go to this place I want to go in Gary, but then I'd have to go to Gary. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get a little older, and you're going to be like, yeah, I need to get out of downtown Raleigh, and I'm going to go to the quiet suburbs of Gary. It doesn't seem all that quiet. It seems like all of your neighbors are all up in your business. (laughs) (laughs) That comes with being in the suburbs. We, I think it's voluntary, too. We do share a lot with our neighbors. Weird. I mean, we all have kids, so, you know, everyone's got something going on. You told me the other day that when you see your neighbor, you try to figure out a way to not talk to them. Yeah. Like the other day, I opened my garage door to go get the mail, and there were people like in the back alleyway hanging out right in front of my garage, and I was like, I just walked back and closed it. <laughs> Man, you're an odd person. (laughs) I think you would enjoy suburban life. I think people are lying when they say they want to live in the suburbs. Like, you want more space. We get it. Just say you want a bigger closet, not that you hate downtown. Yeah. Do you think that? You think we're... You have a list of things you think people are lying about. Yeah. Let's work through this here. Okay. What, What do you think people are lying about? Well, number one, getting your nails done it's always like oh let's go have a girl's day and get our nails done it is the most miserable experience it's like being in time out you can't do anything with your hands and my nail lady if i move my finger wrong she'll slap my hands really (laughs) so it's like you're in purgatory you just have to sit there you don't talk to anybody you just look around and all i say to myself during that time is If I do this now, I don't have to do it for a while. Okay. But it's not, don't men think of it as a relaxing experience for women, I think. I guess so. I don't really think about it. Julie gets her nails. She likes to get the pedicures. Mm -hmm. And she's always asking me to go with her. And, And I find it to be a miserable experience. Not only is it miserable. You hate people seeing your feet. I do. And I feel... Like I need to apologize to the poor lady having to deal with my toenails. In fact, I will not go get a pedicure in a town in which I live. If I'm on vacation and I know I will never see that person again, I may consider getting a pedicure. Mm. It's awful. My feet are, are, I don't think people are thinking about you like you think they are. My feet are disgusting. You're always telling me to take my shoes off at your At my room. house because you have your nasty shoes on and you rub it all over my furniture i don't know what this is it drives me crazy every time you come in i'm like can you take your shoes off please and you just drag leaves in and then you make my couch dirty yeah all right well i do take my shoes off but if i if i don't have socks on i'm not taking my shoes off i'll just leave you always have socks on well not in the summer i sometimes don't wear socks in the summer all right so speaking of summer another thing i think people are lying about is aperol like the aperol spritz do you know about Mm -hmm. aperol that is the most disgusting liquor i've ever tried and i get it it's for your little instagram story it's cute it's orange it has an orange slice in it you put a nice straw that is the nastiest drink I've ever had in my life. I've tried it like three different ways. Gross. 
You think that housewarming parties <laughs> are, that's a lie. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go over to someone's house, take them a candle, and then walk through their entire house while you're like, this is really nice. Mm. I love it. You did a great job Wonderful. here. Oh, what you did with the couch over here. That's great. Oh, and the window treatment. Yeah. you See, you agree with, with me. You. I don't and then you have to go make small talk with other people. Like, so how do you guys know Brian? <laughs> oh, I like the small talk. Related to this. I think weddings, everyone's miserable at a wedding. Oh, really? Oh, weddings are terrible. I don't think that. That's why you only go to second and third marriages. I do. I don't do starter marriages. Okay. I, I wait for the second marriage. What about people that are only married once? Uh, I definitely don't want to be a, at their wedding. Okay. I will definitely ask to come to your third wedding because that's a party, right? No one's wearing white. <laughs> You know, the it's it's open bar. It's just, everyone's just having a good time. It's great. We get to see all your new stepchildren. It's wonderful, <laughs> you know, and the stepchildren are grown. Yeah. Yeah, there's problems. There's, there's drama. Oh, I love it. Yeah, like someone's not talking to someone. Okay. Oh, it's wonderful. I love a good dysfunctional gathering. Yeah. It reminds me of childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I thrive in it. It's why I love politics. Yeah. So everyone out there, if you're getting married for the first time, don't waste an invitation on me. Second wedding, send me an invite. Third, please let me come. And after last week, I'll, I'll round out with this one. I have many more, but I will round out with this one. You know, everyone's like, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. And you're like, oh, why? You know, I'm interested. And then people are like, you know, you just get to eat like you know you're allowed to do that every day right <laughs> yeah i think people like to <laughs> yeah what is it because it's not like people don't i don't i haven't found that people actually have an affection for turkey yeah turkey's dry like you want that dry turkey and then on friday saturday and sunday when you're still eating it it's even drier and you've got to make new creations with it and you know my dad we have to finish all of the leftovers we are not eating anything but the leftovers like no thank you yeah i think people like the idea of it because there's this hallmark moment that they think they're going to create yeah but the politics of thanksgiving Do we travel to Julie's house? Do we stay? You know, and then you have all these expectations. Julie lives with you, by the way. Yes, she does. You said travel to Julie's house. I'm sorry, her family's house. Okay. So, you know, in Granite Falls. So there's that. And then there's, you know, all the the blended uh, families. Of course, you know, those second and third marriages, they kind of come to a head on Thanksgiving. And the poor kids have to go to like five different places (laughs) and eat and stuff themselves with dry turkey. But I think everyone wants it to be this moment in which everything's perfect and no one has to leave and go somewhere else and no one's feelings are hurt. I think it's, yeah, the practicality of Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day doesn't live up to, I think, our expectations. I think you're right. It's a lie. It's a complete lie. Thank you for agreeing with me on a couple of those. Absolutely, I do. And do you agree with me on this? So this is a big big NC poll thing. 
uh, a lot of lobbyists out there, especially, love the custom suits. And you see it, right? They, mm-hmm. they take painful measures to let you know they have a custom suit. Like, they'll unbutton their sleeve buttons on their suit because custom suits you know, they actually do button. If you get an off-the-rack suit, you don't. So you'll see these little things, right? Or the stitching. They'll get some weird stitching. I think it's a lie that they would rather wear a custom suit over a Hudson Belk suit that you get off the rack and it comes with, wait for it here, elastic waistbands. Wait, they do? Oh yeah, a little stretch. I would like that. Yeah. You get a suit at Belk, you can get a suit that... Let you have that Thanksgiving meal. You come back and put it on and that elastic just lets out a little bit and you can breathe. You're wearing a suit to Thanksgiving? Well, no, the the week after Thanksgiving. Okay. But I'll take my off-the-rack suit. We'll just go through these quickly. You say Wegmans is a lie? I think Wegmans is a lie. You know, people are like, have you been to Wegmans? It's like, yeah. And then I have still have to go to two other stores afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's so true. <laughs> I put sequins because it's the holiday season. So you're seeing a lot of women's styles with like sequins. It's like, oh, for your holiday party. And like, I see a shirt with sequins on it and I automatically think my armpits are itchy. <laughs> it's like if you hear someone talk about having lice, you start itching your hair. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, do I have lice? It's so uncomfortable. It puts scratches down your arms or your legs. Like, why do we keep perpetuating that? It's We have to wear uncomfortable things just to say, hey, we're in the spirit. Yeah. Let's be clear, too. It is the holiday season. The Christmas office party, folks, if you're listening, Hate it. everyone hates it. And especially the ones where you have to bring your significant other. It's why I love lobbyist gatherings. You go to fundraisers. No one brings their spouse. So true. So true. (laughs) They would, they're miserable. Please cancel your Christmas party or have a little gathering among just the employees. Go out to lunch or something like that. But no one wants to get together on a Friday night with the office and their significant others. Yeah. Someone usually has a little. Yeah, I don't want to talk to your ham sandwich of a husband. Yeah. And hear about his job. <laughs> you know, he's... Oh, wow, he's got he's got quite a voice. Yeah, he, I like to do yard work. <laughs> Bill you <know>? Elam is... <laughs> <laughs> and that's if they talk at all. Usually they just sit there in s- silence. Because they're miserable. Yeah. Julie has some Christmas gatherings with her colleagues. And they're all doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses. And they just get together and talk about medicine, and you're just sitting there. Well, that's how she feels when you bring her to political things. Yeah. You you just want to talk about gossip, and she doesn't care. She doesn't care. I don't understand that. I love gossip. Yeah, same. <laughs> I think if you work in NC Poll, you love gossip. Yeah, I do not even read the rest of the lawyer magazine that I get. I just turn to the page mm-hmm. to see who got disbarred. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's uh, when I get my alumni magazine, I go immediately to the deaths. I want to see who died. That's weird. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Did I know that person? And it's weird. But I, yeah, I like I like a good gossipy thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Looking forward to the holiday season. It is a great season. And you know, one thing we got to work on 
is actually having our Do Politics Better gathering, because I think that is something people enjoy. Yeah. we got to come up with a date on that. We will. We'll announce it next week. Okay. All right. Put a, put a time on it. Yeah, right now we're sitting by candlelight. It's beautiful. <laughs> the, it, everyone loves a candle. It's a Fraser fir candle, so mm-hmm. we are definitely in the spirit here, and we hope you are too. We will talk to you next week and bring you the news, but until then... Please stay warm and remember to do politics better.